When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic has moved on to the semifinals in Rome. He took out Felix Ojealiasim. We will get to that later in the show, but we will start with Rafael Nadal, who can't say the same. He lost to Denis Shapovalov in the round of 16 and um, went out in a in a the the way that none of us would have wanted to see which is uh physically struggling favoring that left foot and uh saying after the match i'm not injured i am a player who was born with an injury uh the mueller weiss syndrome has kind of re-emerged apparently and uh i think a, an, an emotional an emotional time right now, I think, for Nadal fans who are, are fearing the worst right now. Amy, what are you feeling right now? It's incredibly bad timing for this to flare again. I'm sure if he had to do it all over again, he might reconsider the last two tournaments or one of the last two tournaments. But I've known that he really hasn't been himself. You know, I thought back to the Alcaraz match I don't know if you remember guys, but there was a medical emergency in the stands and they had to stop play for a while. And Rafa got very impatient and he called Alcaraz to the net and say, said, you know, if you wouldn't mind, let's just, it, it's okay. Let's just play if it's okay with you. And, and I thought that was so uncharacteristic and the expressions on his face and some of his actions and some of his comments and, and the, the sort of money quote was something along the lines of pain strips away your happiness. And that really is something that I have observed. In terms of the tennis, you know, the first set that he played against Shapovalov was very good. And, and he, looked, he looked okay against Isner and certainly by the score, um, it was okay. But um, midway through that Shapovalov match, the pain just turned really intense and I don't know what what's going to happen. He's saying that his doctor's going to travel with him to Paris and he'll enter the tournament, but expectations are certainly not high. Yeah. It's a really tough thing. I mean, being beaten is one thing, but then being injured is another because you lose today, but you get to play the next day when you're injured and, and what's the uncertainty and what's the practice and where the matches. And then now we're off to Paris to the very, demanding uh, French Open and Roland Garros. Um, yeah, Nadal is probably, it, these are probably some really restless nights for him, really just wondering how it's going to feel each day. And granted, he's been grappling with this injury at times throughout his entire career, but at this stage, really, really tough. It's hard to figure out what's going to happen because we have instances where he's been out for lengthy periods of time trying to tend to this very problem. The first time in 2004, he was out for a couple of months, Miss Roland Garros and Wimbledon. And then most recently towards the end of 2021, 
missing, you know, the, from the Olympics to coming back in DC and then missing the rest of the year. Right. But then there are also times where Rafa has said, well, sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse and it depends on the day and it can come and it can go. So it's been an injury where it's very hard to be a hundred percent sure from our perspective and maybe even from Rafa's perspective, you know, is this a thing that is going to get worse and is going to, to be a hundred percent an issue uh, 11 days, 11, 12 days from now, maybe 10 days from now when Nadal plays his first round at Roland Garros or is, could it just go away and, and be fine? And that's, difficult to say, but I think what is clear, my sense is he's going to try everything that he is saying, you know, in press saying, okay, my doctor is going to be with me come Roland Garros. It seems like he's confident that it's not an injury that he's concerned about making worse. Uh, he's going to take the court and try his best, I think, in Paris. That's my sense. I don't know what he's thinking is whether it's going to get worse or not. He just, you know, because this is how he treats the game that he's not going to say. I mean, I thought it was very commendable yesterday in that third set that he was clearly, I think, what he'd lose 14 or 15 straight points. And, um, and he wasn't going to just retire in the match. He was going to let Shapovalov earn the win and do that. So I don't know what's in his head about it. When it comes to injuries, I think the challenge with injuries is the fear of something worse that can even be even worse and even worse for your whole life. If we knew that any injury was going to cause us you know, 7.25 meters of pain, okay. I could, okay, I know that. I got that. That's all right. I mean, they deal with, they know that with all their other nagging injuries, which they all have. So I think it's just this uncertainty. Uh, and, and for him, the awareness that's like, gee, how hard can I practice? I mean, he feels yeah. probably more undermatched than he ever has before Roland Garros. Well, yeah, may, even more than in 2020, when there was that little mini season after the US Open, I think he lost to Schwartzman in Rome. Yep. Th that's the, that's the parallel, Joel. I can't remember a time when expectations are as low as they are coming into this tournament, maybe since 2020, where there was plenty of concern about where Rafa was out. Amy, go ahead. Uh, I know you had something there. Well, just the, the odds um, now have Alcaraz favored and Alcaraz is, you know, coming off a, a very confident tournament win and, and a week of rest so I think that he is, um, we're, we're, for Nadal, we, we've got this, this sort of closing door or eclipsing of the moon where he's got like only one, two, three, a handful more tries before Alcaraz and perhaps other players, you know, move into their primes. So the question for him is, you know, is it even something to consider to sit this one out or do you go and do you give it your best and bring your doctor and and i think that that's probably what raf is thinking i think he'll do that and to get back to the 2020 um one everybody had the same play court lead up so in a way everybody's in the same boat as opposed to let's say some of these other players let's say like Tsitsipas or zverev and of course alcarez who've had a full you know they've had the whole agenda they've had raflix oh i remember i used to have a clay court season like that I remember that and Monte Carlo and Barcelona and everything. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, I, I, I'm curious and also to, to what you said, Amy, about the odds. Uh, I think that also what factored in was Djokovic 
not looking quite his best. So let's see if maybe Novak, who is well positioned to, to go for this Rome title here, let's see what it looks like maybe after that. I yeah. Think, I think he has a chance to overtake Alcaraz in, in those odds, uh, which of course doesn't really matter. Just a talking point. Yeah. Yeah. A lot hinged on for Novak, a lot hinged on the match he just played, which I know we're going to get to in a minute. I believe he had to win that match to keep his number one ranking for another week, at least. Um, and he got through that and, um, you know, probably whether or not anyone considers him the favorite will depend on how he does as he wraps up Rome here. Well, yeah. wait, wait, I'm going to just say that, you know, you, you guys probably know how I feel about things like odds and odds makers and predictions and related to other you know, gaming and all that. Of course, he's one of the favorites to win Roland Garros. We know that. I mean, I don't care. I don't care if he loses whatever happens. I mean, I know this, the statistical analysis that says that, but look, Novak's the defending champ. He's number one in the world. Him, Rafa. Okay. Yeah. I put Alcaraz as kind of the new contender, but he's, He's he to me is on an A plus mountain of the favorites to win the title. Wouldn't you say that? Regardless of what he would have oh. done. Well, I, I said the favorite. The favorite. I mean, and, and I it's it's just, you know, whether you consider this young up-and-coming player who has looked sensational on all surfaces, but especially on clay, um, whether you would, you know, consider him to be the favorite or Novak Djokovic. Um, I, again, I think as Novak rounds himself into form, a lot is going to depend on how he looks in a couple of tough contests here to wrap up Rome. I think basically what we have in, in Paris, we're going to have three main contenders. We're going to have Novak, Alcaraz, because they're probably both healthy, and then unless we get a significant medical update from Rafa, we'll have three reasonable favorites. And then it's kind of like 125. I don't did know. You, Joel, did you mean to say Stefano Tsitsipas there? Yeah, because he's playing fantastic. Well, no, no. I, I, I was, I was that, just going to say. It wasn't even a sarcastic. I, I actually didn't. Did you mean to say him or no? I mean, to, I, okay, then I won't put him with the 125, but I'm not going to put him with the three yet. Got it. But, you know, I, I might be saying something different even when we – after Rome, but yeah, yeah, he to me, he's he's an interesting stage now. We could talk about him at some other point. He's an interesting right. stage of his career. Yeah, it, it is interesting, and I think there is a, a clear tier one. I put Tsitsi Pass in the group as the players who I wouldn't be surprised if they won it. Uh, but but that can can go a couple well, ways. Wait, that's a different that's a different statement. The players I wouldn't be surprised to won it compared to the ones I favor to win it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Zarif won it. It's so funny I, that, I be. that you I, bring this up, I, I Gil, be. because I, I was thinking, like, I put Tsitsipas now in this elite, elite group, Tsitsipas on clay, Medvedev on hard, mm. that, that's just right there. But they're they're not touching, for me, Djokovic and, and a healthy Nadal and, and now Alcaraz. Um it's like Alcaraz is, is right in between, but that next group is just this elite, elite level that's, I think, a cut above some of the other ones like Sinner and um, Shapovalov and, and really great players like that. But Medvedev has proven it on hard. He had, I mean, he has proven it on hard. And I think that's right. See, and I think Alcaraz has the, 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 the freshman buzz. 
He's been winning titles. And so it's a different thing. There's a bit more scar tissue around Tsitsipas these days. Agreed. Is of, of some of his outcomes and some of his, his conduct and other kind of things. It doesn't mean he's not great. It just means, ah, we have more data on him. And that's, that impacts the analysis. Whereas Alcaraz, all we have, it's like, God, every freshman can be a Rhodes Scholar. Yeah. Going back to Nadal before we move on to uh, Djokovic in Rome, great uh, straight set win over Felix Ojeali-Assim that I think answered a lot of questions. Uh, this is a weird, it's been a weird time in, in Rafa's career. And um, I tried to express this on Twitter. My wording was not good. Um, so <laughs> some people got it and some people didn't. But it's almost like there's been no in-between. He's either winning titles, he's either on the top of the world, or he's injured. And I think that has frustrated some people who, first of all, would love to give credit to all the opponents who have been able to beat Nadal and, and don't like that injury is constantly part of the narrative. I, I think it's just a reality. I think you look at the Lloyd Harris loss. I think... Uh, you look at the Taylor Fritz loss at Indian Wells. I think you look at this Shapovalov loss in Rome. That's three out of his last four losses in, in the last year. Um, I, I mean, I, I would love to, to not talk about injury and just say, what, what a great match by Dennis. What a great match by, by Lloyd Harris and, and Fritz. But it, it's just not a reality. Uh, to me, this has been a time in Nadal's career where this effect of the durability being his biggest obstacle has been magnified. Uh, so Joel, I'm curious how you see that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yet there's, it's so funny. Nadal would hate that because he has such respect for the game and doesn't want to be ever thought that he's, you know, an excuse, an injury, a this or that. And yet you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to chalk Lloyd Harris as like antiquity in the 2022 thing that was DC last summer. But then you look at the Taylor Fritz and you look at the recent thing. And it is interesting to think that Nadal, who we associate with peaking in the spring leading up to Paris, it's almost like he's paid the price for his great earlier hardcore part of the year where he did so well early in the year. Yeah. And, you know, in retrospect, if he had decided not to play Indian Wells or, you know, after such a great start to the, the beginning of the year, Maybe that would have worked out better because then he cracked a rib and, you know, and some of his, his victories like the, that over Alcaraz, he paid the price. Um, it's the timing. Again, I go back to what I said at the start of the telecast. The, the timing is, has not been uh, good for Rafa if he really wanted to pursue this Roland Garros. But he got another slam this year, so maybe it all evens out. Well, that was gravy. And I know my Nadal fans are always go through the kind of have been like fatalistic about him for 10 years, like seeing, oh, this is going to end now. It's going to end. And he keeps bringing these these goodies and these results. And yet I remember once I was talking to a, a, an, a former pro about scheduling when he realized he was at a certain point in his career is when he started to look at his schedule and said, you know, I'm not quite sure if I should play that one. So I played that one. Maybe I won't. And then I maybe won't want to play that one because I'm not ready for this one. You start like, you know, you're seeing the schedule as a series of little, of little exits. And you're like, wait a second, maybe I should quit. You know what I mean? It's like, and I'm not talking about Nadal at all specifically, but I just mean it starts to make you wonder about where the body, the body is the thing that 
eventually drives the marketplace of your results. The body eventually tells you whether it's practice or entering tournaments, lead up tournaments. I mean, that's the thing. Pete Sampras won the US Open in 2002. He would have had the skills to play Wimbledon in 2003, but he know he didn't have the willingness or the body or the work ethic, whatever, to put in some of the yards it took to do as well as he could there. And, and Nadal is that even more because the way he plays and that it's clay, not grass. Yeah, when we look back on his career, the one thing that will be very abnormal about what's happened in 2022 is that the timing has been anti-clay, pro-hard um, of, of his health, which is, it's, that's a reversal. But what has been constant is the interruptions based on, on the health issues, which, which have been constant. Um, he's missed 11 majors. You can point out several more, and I can actually go on like a streak from 2016 to 2018, where every single year there was a major that he actually played in, but basically was, was at 50% by the time he ex exited the tournament because something was wrong with him. Uh, or he actually had to retire, uh, withdraw rather, mid-tournament. So, so it's it's been a part of his career. Um, Wimbledon, Wimbledon, and Rafa. What do you guys think? Wimbledon. Uh, With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. He's won it before. Hey. But <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I before I get it, but I'm just thinking it's like, I wonder if we shall see him at Wimbledon. I mean, I think he's obviously going to do anything possible to play Roland Garros and compete there effectively. And then, yeah. then and then, yeah. It's I really do hope so because I, I think he's played really well at Wimbledon when he's, when he's made it there in, in the last couple, past couple editions. I mean, he's given us great matches. I'd oh. love to see a rematch of 2018 against Djokovic. Um, that, that would be fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Let us move on to Novak Djokovic. Djokovic beats Felix and moves on to the semifinal. Score line 7-5-7-6. He was awesome. That match was awesome. That was a match where I liked what I saw from Felix and think more highly of him going into Paris after that match. And of course, I think more highly of Djokovic who beats a, a, a top 10 player who is at his best and does it in straight sets. I mean, this was really good from Novak, don't you think, Joel? It was, but he did serve for both sets. Yeah. He did serve for both sets, and then he got taken into overtime, and then he came up with some, oh, that's fantastic stuff. And I couldn't agree with you more about Felix. And I just, I really, I've always liked him, but he improved to impress me even more in this match. And Novak came up with some 
great stuff. I mean, let's remember this is a guy who lost uh, in Belgrade a few weeks ago, 6 on the third set. And now look at him. He's looking pretty good. This was one of those matches that it felt really close and, and yet it didn't. So the score was seven, five, seven, six, which says really close match. And then I looked at who won more points. Cause I just had this sense. And that's not a metric that I look at every time I get why that's not necessarily apropos, but sometimes I just want a, a sense of like who won more points overall. Mm -hmm. And it was Novak. It was Novak 82 to 68. So I was right in that. Um, I felt that he had control. He had control of his serve, uh, first serve, uh, brilliant i believe he was putting in in the 70s and winning in the 70s um just a couple of of service games where he, he let it get away from him um and the forehand the forehand uh the depth and running felix from side to side and um just playing himself into his clay form watching this match i was reminded that he novak djokovic is actually one of the best clay court players ever yeah the forehand stood out to me as well and amy i don't believe you that you ever forgot that what, what did i forget that <laughs> that that this match reminded you that novak is one of the best clay quarters uh, yeah, Ever. no, I mean, you forget that. I do forget that because um, you think of Rafa and, and Tsitsipas has been playing well on clay and you think of like Casper Ruud is such a great clay court player. And, and then you're like, wait a minute, um, this guy in the history of tennis is actually one of the best. And we, you know, we, we see him in Monte Carlo and, and, and you're like, in, in the history of tennis, one of the best ever. And if there had not been a Rafael Nadal, then certainly he would have won more Roland Garros. Yeah, I'd never go the, uh, if there hadn't been, it's like someone ran that by me with another player and another player. I, I never, I mean, yeah, and me too. I mean, well, good I, for you, Joel. <laughs> Sometimes those thoughts just pop into my head. You know, I know, but I just, I, I think if, uh, I don't know, Federer has this, of course, Federer has the same thing to say about, about Nadal. He could say that too, but yeah. I don't know if he does. And I don't know. And maybe in, so could Robert Soderling. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, look, neither Federer nor Djokovic. And we know, we know how things played out with court homogenization, but I mean, and you know how the times have changed, but this wasn't like a Pete Sampras situation for them where they weren't in winning, you know, big clay court titles and making finals of Roland Garros all the time. And, you know, whereas I guess the comparison would be Sampras, furthest he went was the semifinal at RG and yeah. you know it was just hard court and grass or kind right. of bust um we know it wasn't like that uh but so okay Djokovic in this match against Felix uh, I I don't dwell too much on the two service games where he got broken because I I felt like the the body of work was too consistent to really zoom in on two games and be like, mm -hmm. well, you know, what about that? Right. I just, it felt like, and also he was clutch at the end of both sets. You know, the tie break was, was sensational stuff. He broke at five, six with, with really great stuff. So, I mean, it felt like he came for the first time. He seemed all the way back to me 
And on the clay, it's so important that that forehand is damaging and controlling play because, you know, we know, we know the serve is not going to get as far for any player. We know the backhand is, is not going to have the weight of shot to be as damaging as it is on grass and slick hard court. He's going to need that heavy, weighty forehand to get through the court and penetrate. And he had that um, in this match as well as the first serve firing. So, so let me just to get back to these uh, games. If you're giving him an A, am I giving him an A minus? Or if you're giving him an A minus, I'm giving him a B plus. Because to me, those are not, I, I mean, I'm a little, I'm, those, those concern me somewhat. I mean, that's kind of a thing that factors into the, the evaluation. The quality of the points, though, you're absolutely right. And I, and I agree with you um, about the, the quality, the rallies. They're spectacular. Some great points. I think that's yeah, what it is. I, I give him an A for as well yeah. as FAA was playing. You know, he was in his getting, running things down, running down drop shots, responding. Um, I think my favorite point of the match, though, was when um, Djokovic, I believe he broke FAA, um, might have made it 3-2 in the second set on a lob. That went that went over FAA's head, and he swung and missed. Um, just incredible points, and the elite level that FAA was playing. I give Novak an A for this match. That was a great point. There was lots of offense and defense and scrambling on that point. But as soon as I saw Felix hit a half volley, mildly short to Novak's back, and uh oh, and it's just kind of like, and then Novak had about seven options. I don't think it was short. I thought it was, I thought there was depth. Yeah, the depth, but there might not have been profundity. <laughs> I think that's I mean, true. It was, it was kind of, it was kind yeah. of like, oh yeah. Was and it a half volley or was it a volley that just floated? It was what, I thought it might've been a half volley. I, I could be wrong. Whatever be it wrong. was. Yeah, it was, it was plausibly deep for people who don't play pro tennis and all that. And it's like pros, Novak backhand. You're yeah. not at this point. And then he just, oh, I have so much time. You're going to commit, Felix. Good night. Very nice. Let's, uh, let's dig deeper into the question. Was this his best performance of 2022? Because, okay, and, and where I am on the grades, I'll take away the plus because he made some uncharacteristic errors serving for both sets at the end of those games. They weren't terrible games. They weren't throwaway games. But from 30-all in the first set, two forehand errors, I believe, and uh, a couple of mistakes also in, in the second set when he served for it that were kind of like, oh, wow, we haven't seen that all match. So I'll take away the plus and give him an A. But if you're looking at the season, um, and let's start you know, with Belgrade, everything seemed to be a struggle. Then he goes up against his first elite player, Rublev, loses the match, gets bailed in the third. He beats uh, Monfils in Madrid and Hercotch in Madrid not at the level of, of Felix at his best. Turkoc has had a good play court season, but there's a lot of issues with his game from the baseline right now. Loses to Alcaraz. That's probably the best argument that you have, pushing Alcaraz to a third set tie break. Maybe that performance was better. I just thought he, he didn't return well enough in that match, right? I did feel like it was kind of an incomplete performance from Djokovic. Then in this tournament, he crushes Karatsev and Stan, to me, this is a lot more impressive. Again, top 10 player with weapons, dangerous at his best, 
gets through it in straight sets. That's my calculus for getting to this was his best match of 2022. Yeah, now that you've read the entire list, you sold me 100%, especially given the way that he played the tiebreak. Yeah, that's right. You're right. And I think you're right. And the uh, tiebreak puts the kind of the button on it like that because that was exemplary. That was that was a plus in the tiebreak. Just into, you know, Novak and tiebreakers, man, you go back to that. Well, not the 2019 Wimbledon finals, certainly, but you just look at him. He just battens down the hatches and hunkers down and it's the shots that he needs to hit. Um, yeah, that's uh, sold, Gil. All right. Uh, then we can go on to Casper Ruud in the semis. Picking things up here, he needed it. It, it after you know he made the Miami final. What irony! First Masters 1000 final comes on a hard court from a, a guy who's you know all of his titles are are in clay 250s, right? No one was expecting that, but okay, look out for the clay. And it was not the the start of the clay court season that that Rude had hoped for. Just a couple of puzzling losses there. Not to bad players, but we're just used to seeing anyone who's not top 10, you can forget about it on clay. He's going to win. Um, but he's got a good, good little run here. Um, let me just, let me he's just uh, read off consistent. who he's beaten. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's super taken out. consistent. Yeah. So he beat Bodik von de Zanschkulp, who he had never beaten in the first round, uh, beat Jensen Brooksby, who I'm still trying to figure out how good he really is on clay. Then he takes out Shapovalov. I thought that was a high quality match and, and Rude played very well, never got his serve broken and won in two tight sets. So um, Amy, uh, what do you think? How much, how dangerous an opponent is Kasper Rude right now for Novak Djokovic? Do you want me to be honest? Yep. Not, not that dangerous. Um, he, he'll present a different challenge than FAA did. Um, remember the Miami uh, final that he made that's a very slow hard court so you kind of get the profile um, the guy likes clay and he likes slow hard court um, he, he's unflappable he's the forehand is top level world class um, and he's less likely to pull the trigger on a direction change or a drop shot or, or a bailout than maybe FAA is. So um, one thing that I meant to mention was that I thought that the scouting that they did that Novak's team did on FAA was really good because um, he was all over the um, serve placements, especially on second serve. And uh, they'll probably do the same high level of scouting on, on Casper Root. So I, you know, I, uh, I don't think it'll be much of a problem, but the match will have a different look. I think you're right. I think a different kind of look because Root's got such a, a different balance between his forehand and his backhand and the, um, the backhand's not as good as the forehand. And so Novak's going to be doing a lot of his probing and moving. He's going to withstand some hits with the forehand some winners from remarkable winners, but I think Novak is such a good, uh, he's so good over the long haul of a match. And I don't just mean a five setter. I mean, a two setter. He just understands the whole pacing of a match. I mean, you watch him point after point. I mean, I think, and I think in some ways he does that better than our, than Federer and Adel because of his technique and because of his balance there, they have their genius around that too, but there's just a way that Novak kind of manages these storms and he, he makes the opponent work in this way that's again and again, there's this relentless um, metronomic, I mean that 
purely as a compliment mm -hmm. that it's very sustained and you know it's going to happen there's going to be lots of cross-court balls and lots of smart decisions and and so i think a guy like rude i think he's going to be kind of it's going to be kind of ground down yeah i could see that uh it comes down to balance to me i mean joel you mentioned it the forehand for rude is is scary it's probably the closest thing there is on tour to Nadal's forehand in terms of just how violent the topspin is. The backhand, to me, just needs to get better if he's going to beat players like Novak Djokovic. Uh, and I, I just, I don't see a way around that right now. And to kind of just describe it, it's, it's loopy. There's lots of net clearance. There's a lot of topspin on his backhand too, but there's no speed. And as a result, it, it gets attacked um, by a lot of players, and I don't think you can get away with that imbalance, generally speaking, against Novak Djokovic. Um, and I would look out for the serve and volley, because uh, watching Rude's matches, both today against Shapovalov, and Shapo did it really well coming in on the backhand. He saved 13 break points before Rude finally broke serve. And a lot of that was coming in to Rude's backhand. The amount of air that Rude puts under his backhand from a deep position, if you come in on that side, you get a high volley. And Rude doesn't stand up on the baseline for his second serve return, which would make it tougher to serve volley. No, he stands all the way back and hits this high looping return. To me, Novak is going to every big point is the one thing I'm calling. I'm saying, look out for this on a big point. Djokovic is going to serve and volley to Rude's backhand. Sounds yeah. like you should do the scouting for, I've done for Novak. Yep. Do, you mean, do you mean in the ad <laughs> court or do you mean in both courts? Mostly in the ad. I think, I think that um, that's a good call. And then the other thing would be if the backhand is attackable, run for Novak to look for him to run around and hit forehand and, and often take it inside in. Uh, I saw him do that today quite a bit and and that would be one that I you could envision that he would do even more yeah uh it'll also be interesting to see what Djokovic's serve can do to Rude's return I think that's the other weakness in the game and Djokovic's first serve has come on right it looked very unthreatening in Belgrade uh certainly in Monte Carlo and and now he's starting even on the slow clay of Rome he's starting to to get some some freebies on that side right yeah, the Djokovic serve is a kind. That's an interesting theme. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out through this year, where he hasn't played as much tennis, and we'll see. I'm even more intrigued to see it again later at Wimbledon. I think in Paris it's going to be fine by him, but it can become even more of a factor on grass. But that's ways away. I can throw out one devil's advocate point on on in Rude's favor. I'll say. I still feel, and I think this was a factor with FAA. I think Djokovic high over the shoulder on the backhand, especially it can bother him. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we've seen again, him have amazing success on all surfaces, but I mean, we see, you know, what, what it is on grass and what it is indoors and sometimes how much more comfortable he can be against a player like Nadal who has the heavy topspin. I think a lot of that comes down to his contact points and I'm curious to see how he's going to handle um, the ball 
jumping up above his shoulders, which it will against Rude. And by the way, Alcaraz on the kick serve in Madrid, I think that was another really good example of Djokovic just being bothered by that contact point. Well, the, the kick serve is a tricky thing because you don't know if it's going to be the kick serve because it might be other serves. You have to kind of, you have to get, you have to be ready for many, many variations. Here's a thing I wonder, and maybe this is a question for, you, you know, this Gil. Okay, so Djokovic has done it pretty well against the Rafa cross-court lefty forehand to his backhand. He steps in and he's been okay with that. Now, how is it fielding an inside-out? You're talking about Rude's inside-out righty forehand. Yeah. Up to Novak's backhand. So how, what is the, what is the, what is the spin, the spin dynamic of the inside-out forehand going up and away from your backhand compared to the lefty cross-court? Is it the same? Is it different? What do you guys think? I think it would be different, but um, harder, higher, away, uh, up. I I wouldn't want the lefty. I would prefer the righty. Okay. I don't know about you, Gil. I I think it's more about the open court. I think it's tougher. Uh, the one thing that will be. I think the most interesting thing is if Djokovic changes down the line off of that into the open court down the line yeah. against the lefty, it's to the backhand and he can reset that point against a righty. It's to the forehand, um, which I think it, it puts, it puts Novak maybe in a tougher backhand jail uh, it, it, or I'll say this, it entices him to go back cross court. I think against Nadal, it's let's change this. Let's go down the line against rude. I think it's let's go cross court and try to maybe hit deep enough or sharp enough where we can get it to rude's backhand. Yeah. I think it'll be to his backhand all day and, and watch where and how he returns. Um, Cause you know, if he's returning first serve, a lot of times Novak, I think is just looking to get the ball in and get the ball deep, but on second serves, um, look at how he positions himself to try to find Rude's backhand. Hmm. Does he do, does he do that by returning to, to C and D right there? Or does he do it by going to, to A and B so that he can eventually get there? I, I would not do that. I wouldn't go to, I wouldn't return to Casper's forehand. I mean, that's just me. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I agree. I, I, I get that too. But I, you know, I think we, I, we got to get a telestrator. That's a, that's our next goodie. We should get one of those. <laughs> map out these court things because they're fun to think about about which ways the balls go and 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 the parts of the court yeah absolutely uh all right well casper's got a great second serve so amy if Djokovic is able to get it to the backhand right away that'll be uh, a sign that the second serve is locked in uh let's see how it plays out um of course the other semi-final is stefano Tsitsipas. And Alexander Zverev shaping up to be a very intriguing Rome. And we will be with you on Monday to recap it all. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you are watching on YouTube, like the video, leave a comment, and please subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.